Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Jennifer Roth. Isn't it amazing to worship together and sing the foundational truths of our faith together? What a great start to the morning. Hey, my name is Jennifer. I'm one of the pastors here. It is a joy to be with you this morning. Welcome to those of you who are joining us on live stream, maybe even from your house churches. I echo Jeff's words from earlier. Happy Father's Day. It's a great day to celebrate fathers. Matter of fact, my dad is here too. Happy Father's Day, Dad. He loves it when I call him out like that. Happy Father's Day. Fatherhood is a really important thing, you guys. The heart of a father for his children The leaning in, the protection, the provision, it's a big thing that you do. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, it's so important. Our world needs more fathers. So thank you for your father's hearts. One of the ways that we celebrate family around here is through baby dedication. So I'm going to invite the McCulligan family to come on up and join me at this time because we get to dedicate little Graceland Faye. Friends, baby dedication isn't just a fun tradition around here where we get to see all the cute little ones who are being born into the family of God here at Salem Alliance, although she is a very cute, very little one. Come on up, you guys. This is Luke and Suzanne McCulligan with little Grace Lynn Fay, who is two months old. Yeah. Luke and Suzanne's family are joining via live stream there from the East Coast. One of the great gifts of the time is that we can have families join us who aren't in Salem, so welcome that you guys get to be here with us too. Dedicating a baby to the Lord is an important commitment. It's a commitment that says that you're offering her to him, that you're thanking him for this gift, and that you're committing your lives to following the Lord's way that she might see a reflection of Jesus in you. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it tells us this about God and our families. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. This is a high and holy calling, Luke and Suzanne. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, and when you are on the road, and when you are getting to bed, and when you are getting up. This is a full-time job. <laughs> I probably don't have to tell you that. <laughs> Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Make this a habit of your household to be reflecting Jesus. So Luke and Suzanne, is it your desire to live this Christ life in such a way that Jesus is modeled and reflected to little Graceland Faye? Yes, it is. It is. And to Luke and Suzanne's family who are joining us on live stream, is it your desire to support Luke and Suzanne and to live your Christ life in such a way that you model Jesus? for little Graceland Faye. And I know you're on live stream, but where you are, if that is your desire, would you say, we will? And now, church body, would you stand with us? Because when we dedicate a baby to the Lord here, it's not just about their family, but it is a reminder that as a family of God, our lives matter to the next generation. And so I would ask you, is it your desire that your life, the Christ life, would be lived in such a way that Jesus is modeled and reflected in your life for little ones like Graceland Fay and others? If so, would you say we will? Yeah. yeah. Let's pray and bless little Graceland Fay. Father, this is your beautiful and beloved creation. She's a miracle. Such a gift to this family. Thank you for this gift of Graceland Faye. 
Lord, as I prayed for her, I just sensed the sweetness of your presence, just such a sweet aroma. I was reminded of how you say that we are to be the fragrance of Jesus in this world. And so I pray for the heart of an evangelist for little Graceland Fay, that her faith would go so deep that out of the outflow of who she is, it would just be the most natural thing in the world for people to be attracted to you because they see the way that she lives and loves. God, we pray your blessing. We pray health. We pray grace over little Graceland Fay. And we dedicate her to you, Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Luke and Suzanne, in 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, God tells us that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so I just pray over the two of you that you would not have a spirit of fear or anxiety, but I bless you with the spirit of God's power in you and through you, the spirit of God's love in you and through you, and the spirit of his sound mind that all that you need as parents and as a family, that you would have wisdom and discernment for what you need. So Father, we commend this family to you. And church, can you celebrate with them as they go? Amen. We have been in a series called Deep. Ooh, guess what? Thank you. The people up front saw that I dropped page one, and I think I could have gotten through it, but I'm glad that they knew where it was. Thank you. Hey, we've been in a series called Deep, uh, thinking, looking at what it means to be deep as followers of Christ, that it, it, is, it is knowing his word and gaining knowledge, but it's more than that. It's about being deeply formed into the character of Christ. So Brian talked a couple weeks ago about deep humility, and Steve talked last week about deep suffering. And if you have not had a chance to watch one of those, can I just highly recommend that you head back with the podcast or the live stream archives and catch that? Really great messages about what it is to be deeply formed to Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about deep unity. This idea of deep unity is one that was birthed in me when I was about 18 years old, a lot of years ago, and has been growing in me ever since. See, over the course of about six months, I had an opportunity to be a part of two different Christian ministry organizations. One was so amazingly strong at teaching the word of God, recognizing truth, and calling life living in righteousness. The other ministry organization really was strong in the power of the Holy Spirit, listening to God, knowing how the Holy Spirit was guiding and reaching out to the world around us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I was deeply blessed. I built lifelong relationships. I sensed God's presence and transformation in my life. I gained respect for the leaders of those organizations who loved Jesus with their whole hearts and who served him with their whole life. And yet, in those two organizations, there were some significant theological differences. As a matter of fact, if you had put those two leaders in the same room and asked them to talk about certain theological topics, I envisioned that they would lovingly but passionately argue very different sides of a coin. And this isn't the time to go into what those theological differences were, but suffice it to say that this 18-year-old was confused. <laughs> How can people that I love so much and that love the Lord so much land in two very different places about such important things? And it was then that God began to speak to me about what he means when he teaches in, in Corinthians about the body of Christ. 
when he compares the church and all of us as individuals to one body and how it functions. I wanna start in this place of, in Corinthians 12 uh, with the various verses here from 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Friends, this was a familiar passage to me when I was 18, but I think I had always envisioned it within the four walls of the local church that I was involved in, and that within those walls, the people who called this church home had different spiritual gifts and different personalities, and we we needed to have everybody there around the table in order to reflect the body of Christ. But in this mind-blowing six months when I was 18 years old, I realized, oh, this is bigger than the four walls of Salem Alliance Church. This is bigger than, our, than just our differences on little things. This is about a diverse, global community that are followers of Christ who have, some have the view of the eyes and they see things one way while others are hearing more and so they have a different perspective on the kingdom. And we as a body of Christ have divided up in denominations based on the way that we perceive and see God. The feet are called to walk, and so we have this denomination of walkers. The hands are called to serve, and so we have this denomination of hands and this little, this little denomination of ears and the one of eyes and friends. Every single one of these groups is weaker because we divide to feel more comfortable because it is hard work, and it is sometimes unpleasant work to stay in a place where there is a difference of opinion. Friends, unity is not uniformity. We just sang about our unity. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We sang about our unity, but that doesn't make us uniform in the way that we perceive or act on our faith. And this call to unity is a call, it's, it's just like this. Jesus called Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector to be part of the twelve. Friends, out of everybody in the world, he only invited 12, and he didn't invite everybody who was the same. The zealot was one who wanted to see the kingdom of God come through violence, whatever it took. The tax collector was aligning himself with the Romans and collecting the money, and yet Jesus called both of them to be his disciples and to help form the church. And in the same way, the church is stronger the more we can stay together in the face of our disagreements and things that I think have come to divide us much too quickly. Because deep people make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Deep people make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. A couple weeks ago, I was here in this building with a group of young moms, and and among that group of young moms, there were four two-year-old girls. And I thought I would do this group a favor, and I would take the four two-year-old girls for a little walk to give the moms some time to chat by themselves. So, Each of the girls got a baby stroller, and each of the baby strollers got a baby, and we were leaving the room to go for, I don't know what I was thinking, you guys, but I was leaving the room with four two-year-old girls to take the baby for a stroller walk around the church. My other brilliant idea was that they would love to take an elevator ride. And I don't know if you've ever been at the elevator on the second floor up here, but it's kind of a dark little corner, and here we can I should have caught a clue when we left the room, and one of the girls was going, my mom isn't coming. I was like, oh no, we'll be fine. We're walking our babies. It's great. We got to the elevator, and 
two of them went straight on, not a problem, marched in, ready, pushed the button, let's go. And two of them were outside the elevator and there was no way, no how they were going on that elevator. <laughs> one of them quite vocally protesting the elevator and the other one just very quietly, not a word, turned and walked the other way. <laughs> she was out, not getting on the elevator. I think sometimes when we start talking about unity in the body of Christ, it can kind of feel like trying to negotiate between four two-year-olds at an elevator. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I'll tell you what I did. I yelled back down the hall. I had seen some of my coworkers working and I was like, hey, Carrie, can you come and make sure these girls get back to their moms? <laughs> I, I can't go two places at once. How do we live in this place when it's not up to us how other people respond to the divisions of our world, but it is up to us to be people of unity. Read with me in Romans 12, 18. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So this idea of being a person of peace or a person of unity has all these disclaimers. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, which means I think God understands that he gave humanity free will, and every relationship has at least two people, and sometimes the peace of that relationship doesn't actually depend on you. The unity isn't something that you can force or make happen, but here's what you can do. We can choose that we will be individuals who live in such a way that we are people of unity, who promote unity in the places and community and the sphere of influence that we have in our life. So as you listen this morning, can I invite you to listen, not for how you know other people in your world need to work on unity, but for what Holy Spirit might be highlighting to you about an area that you could grow in as far as being a person of unity. So here's what uh, the Apostle Paul had to say to the Ephesians about this idea of unity. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. This is God's holy word. Did you hear all those ones? These are the absolutes. These are the non-negotiables of our faith. There is one God, on that we all agree. There is one body, his church. It is the bride of Christ. There is one glorious hope. It is Jesus and his work of redemption on the cross and our eternal life with him and his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There is one faith. There is one baptism. We are all baptized, whether you got sprinkled or dunked, we are baptized into Jesus and his salvation. Friends, these are the absolutes. The other things, the strong personal convictions that we hold, some of that is about baptism and do you sprinkle or do you dunk. Maybe it's about, is, am I focused on social justice and mercy or do we focus on holiness and righteousness? Are we a word or spirit? Are we dividing over our style of worship? What about gifts of the spirit or even women in ministry? <laughs> these preferences, these, these strong convictions that we hold are different than the absolutes because in the word of God, 
Many people have landed different places on these convictions, but we hold to the oneness, the absolutes, while we seek to make every effort within the unity of the spirit to stay connected to those who even hold different convictions than we do or different preferences than we do. And how do we do this? He begs us to live a life worthy of our calling. See, friends, you have been called by God. If you are a follower of Christ, you have a calling on your life. And in order to live worthy of that calling, we follow the teaching that we have in the scriptures and we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we live worthy of the calling that we have received, the world sees God. The world sees reflected the kingdom of God. But when we don't live worthy of our calling, the world is blinded to who God is because the church doesn't look any different than they do. And on this area of unity, I believe the church, the big C church needs a wake up call because I'm not sure that the world can see any difference within our doors as outside our doors on a fierce commitment to stay together in the face of disagreement or even things that are just comfort issues. So how do we do this? Paul gives us a list. Can I just say that I love it when Paul gives us lists? I know faith isn't a formula, but I'm a list kind of a person. And he tells us to be humble and gentle and patient, making allowance for each other's faults. Let's just talk about each one of these a little bit. Brian preached on humility a couple weeks ago. I can't go into that in, in that depth, but he did a great job. You might want to go back and listen to that. But humility is this idea that our identity is so rooted in Christ that we know our value and our worth come from God, that we don't have to seek or be driven or try to prove our value and our worth here. We don't have to compete with others to prove that we are valuable because we know we are valuable to God. We don't have to compare ourselves to others to see who's higher and lower because we know that our worth is rooted on something that has nothing to do with the comparison or a layered scale. And it's only when we have that identity rooted in God that we can lay down our rights to prefer others above ourselves. That is a humble posture, is the laying down of our rights to prefer others above ourselves. Sometimes humility can look like simply saying, I could be wrong. Sometimes humility looks like saying, it's okay if I'm not understood. It's okay if I'm obscure and nobody knows how great I am. <laughs> Humility is this calling to model Jesus who, in Philippians 2, it tells us, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant and humbled himself even to the point of death. Friends, Jesus knew he was God, so he didn't have to prove he was God. And when we know we are the children of God, we don't have to prove that we are God's children or that we are valuable or we are worthy. We can live with an open spirit to others, allowing them room to grow and to be transformed while we trust our life to him. That's humility. And it's only when we have a humble heart that we can approach each other with gentleness. Because if we don't have that sense of our identity in Christ, we, we respond to conflict and tension with defensiveness. We have to prove that our opinion has worth or value or merit. We have to prove that the, what we've done is okay. There's this defensiveness that rises up and a gentle spirit is not a defensive spirit. A gentle spirit is our approach. See, hard conversations have to happen. Conflict is inevitable. Tensions will rise, but how will we handle them? One marriage researcher talks about softening our startup, that how we start a conversation makes so much difference. If I can start with, hey, I'm feeling misunderstood, and this is how I'm experiencing you, and this is my story, can you tell me your story? 
and then I can listen as they tell me this is how I'm experiencing this, we can come to some sort of understanding. Whereas if I come and say, hey, you jerk, immediately the walls are up and the conversation is over. So when we soften our startup, that's part of the effort towards gentleness. Gentleness is about our tone and our body language. I can practice good listening and say, I'm listening to you, I'm hearing you say that I'm too brusque. <laughs> and that's not gentle. But I could say, hey, I wanna hear you, and I think what I'm hearing is that I am often too blunt and too brusque. That's a more gentle, softened startup. Part of this is also being aware that sometimes the experience that other people have of us doesn't match our expectation of what we think they are experiencing. We are so in tune with what's inside of us. We know our heart and our motives, and we give ourselves credit for good motives and for good reason. But sometimes we have blind spots about how we're coming across to others. I know this because I have a blind spot that's been pointed out to me multiple times in my life, and my blind spot is this. I'm a person in my own inner world that can have quite a bit of insecurity, and I feel like I'm, I do a decent job of being friendly with people but I can come across as intimidating. Here are some of the reasons why I've heard that. Uh, because I have a loud voice, and, and I, I know that. I've been loud since I was little. <laughs> um, because I'm tall. No fault of my own, but I'm tall. Um, because I kind of process quickly, and I say what I think quickly, and that can be kind of blunt. And for those reasons, sometimes I think I'm communicating one thing, but what the other person is hearing is very, very different. Twice in the last six months, I've had people approach me who I didn't have a lot of relationship prior to us being involved in something together. Thankfully, both of them had humility and gentleness and came to me in separate instances and said, Jennifer, here's the experience I'm having with you. It feels like you're really negative about this and you're not really for me and I don't feel much support from you. Is that what, is that what you mean to communicate? I'm like, no, not my heart, not what I was thinking. We just got off on the wrong foot and I had no idea that everything was building on a perception that wasn't gentle. So sometimes the hard work towards being a person of unity is being willing to receive comments like that without defensiveness and to say thank you. Thank you for showing me a blind spot. I want to know how others perceive me because my world isn't just a matter of what I think inside, but it's a matter of interactions with others around me. Be completely humble, be gentle, and be patient. Patience is about our attitude. If humility is about our identity and gentleness is about our approach, patience is about our attitude. See, we can say all the right things, but if inside we're like, come on already, whether it's a hurry, like, you need to figure this out, we need a resolution right now, whether it's an idea, you need to agree with me, that I, don't, I, don't, I can't figure out how a person could think that. We're impatient with the process, we're impatient with the maturity and development, we're impatient with the timeline, then we can't be people of unity. In Philippians 1.6, it says that he who began a good work in you, so God who began the good work in all of us, will be faithful to complete that work. Friends, patience is trusting God to complete the work he's doing in ourselves and in people around us. And being a place that has space for those that we're in relationship with to process and to grow. Do you know that for someone to feel heard, you have to stop talking? <laughs> Preaching to myself here on this one. Do I have the space in myself to accept the journey that someone else is on and to know that this isn't the end, this isn't all of it, it doesn't have to be figured out today, right now, 
but patience to give room for God's timeline and God's work. So we're humble, we're gentle, we're patient, and we're called to make allowances for each other's faults. Oh boy, it's hard enough to just put up with other people's opinions. (laughs) This idea of making an allowance is kind of a financial idea, right? Parents give their kids allowance to teach them how to provide for, how to pay attention to money and how to use money to teach them something for the future that they're going to need to know. Maybe you're on a budget committee and that budget committee has made an allowance for some future need. They know that that money's gonna be needed so they've set it aside. Relationally, how do we do at pre-planning to give an allowance to the humans in our lives? Because here's the reality, we're all humans and at some point our humanity is going to show. <laughs> and when our humanity shows in the form of our faults, our sins, the way we let people down or disappoint or hurt them, the way that we maybe even betray, are we ready to say, oh, yep, there's your humanity. And instead of stepping back, I'm hurt, I'm out, this is too hard, will we step in and say, there's your humanity, but you're my people, and I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm here, and I'm making allowances for your faults. Paul actually even takes it further in his book to the Colossians. In Colossians 3.13, he says this, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Doggone it, Paul. Anyone? Like, what does that mean in the Greek? Come on, let's see if there's a way out of this. Forgive anyone who offends you. Friends, here's what we need to remember about forgiveness. Forgiveness was not something that God offered us so that on behalf of the person who has sinned against us, forgiveness is a gift he gives us for us. See, just as he has forgiven us, he gives us the power to forgive others because when we forgive others, it sets us free. So when I make a choice to forgive anyone who offends me, that doesn't mean I'm saying that it wasn't a fault. I'm not even saying it wasn't a sin. I'm not even saying that it should have happened that way. It's not excusing poor behavior. It's not excusing the abuse of power. It's saying, I'm going to leave judgment in the hands of God and I know that I will walk as a person who is more free who is more gentle and humble and patient when I will choose the way of forgiveness rather than the way of bitterness and resentment. Because friends, bitterness and resentment will build up walls of hard-heartedness that cannot be a part of a body of believers who are making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. I wanna pause for just a second here and say that I believe there have been times in the history of the church when teaching like this about making allowance for each other's faults forgiving anyone who offends you, even laying down your rights for others that have been used to excuse the abuse of power, whether that's in a corporate setting, a society setting, or even an individual setting. Now isn't the time to go into that fully, but what I wanna say is this. If you are in a relationship that is really, really difficult, and you're not sure if it's just a hard relationship and there are some hard relationships out there or if this is actually a situation where someone is abusing their power and you're in an abusive situation, Would you talk to someone that you trust? Would you talk to a counselor or a friend, maybe a parent or mentor or a pastor? Talk a little bit about what's going on because I believe sometimes the, remember that if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. I believe that sometimes the way for that to happen is to have healthy boundaries, to have healthy boundaries for your own safety. But we can hold our boundaries, friends, with gentleness and humility 
and patience, even making allowance for the humanity of the other while we say, I'm not going to be present with this, but I'm going to hold the door open for restitution if there comes repentance. So we live with humility, gentleness, patience. We make allowance for each other's faults. And then he goes on to say that we do this. We, it, it binds us all together through the bond of peace. Here's the thing about peace. I kind of see it as this wishful thinking, right? The dove, the wispy, ethereal, maybe out there, someday unattainable peace. And yet he's saying that it is the bond of peace that is strong enough to hold us together in our unity of the spirit. That means that peace has to be something stronger than wishful thinking about the circumstances in our world changing. Because friends, peace isn't actually about our world, peace is about our God. One uh, person, author that I read said it this way, biblical peace is more than just the absence of conflict or state of rest. It's not just about our circumstances or our world. It means completeness or wholeness, the wholeness of God in our lives, and it points to the presence of something else. It points to the presence of Jesus. In John chapter, no, it's in Ephesians chapter two, Paul says, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. It's in John 17 when Jesus is leaving and he's talking to his disciples and he says, I am my peace I give to you. My peace I leave you. I don't give as the world gives. It's not the kind of peace the world is looking for. The world is looking for the end of conflict. Jesus is saying, I am giving you a peace that is based on who I am and it's going to come in the form of Holy Spirit empowering you to live in a way that is different than the rest of the world lives. This is how we live worthy of the calling we have received when we live by the power of the Holy Spirit in us which is the peace of the presence of Jesus Christ. It is only when we have an underlying foundational, I think of an aquifer of water buried deep below the surface. It has nothing to do with what's going on, whether it's raining or whether it's drought. There's this aquifer. Can you and I pull from the aquifer of peace that is the underlying foundation of our faith and of our walk in Christ because it is the presence of Jesus and the power of Holy Spirit in our lives? Our peace does not depend on our world. Our peace depends on our God. Therefore, our unity does not depend on our world. Our unity depends on our God. Friends, the way to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit is through the power of the Spirit. So why does it matter? Why is Jennifer so all fired, bent up, passionate about this one? Read what Jesus said with me in John 17. Again, some of his final words to his disciples. He's talking to his father, it's a prayer, and he says, I have given them, these humans, these broken humans, the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they, the church, the bride of Christ, us, experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Church, this is the gospel. It's that God sent his son and God loves the world. And how is the world gonna know that it's true? It's if you and I can quit being like four two-year-olds at the elevator and figure out how to make every effort, how to passionately commit to staying together, to not dividing up over the things that make us uncomfortable or even the things that make us mad, but staying with God's people because that is what he called us to do. 
Before I ask you to do personal reflection, I want to share with you my own personal reflection on this one. Three or four years ago, there was this topic that was kind of rising in, in um, interest and conversation in some communities and, and areas that Jeff and I were in. And one of the things that happened is this is about year 19 of marriage. Uh, he and I discovered that we didn't agree on this particular topic, this particular thing. And as we began to unpack this conversation and have these conversations, realizing what his belief meant for him and what my belief meant for me and what that meant for us, it, it wasn't so much a day-to-day conflict as much as a deep underlying core beliefs thing. And... We had a lot of painful conversations, friends. There were a lot of tears on my part. I was really wrestling because in my life, what I had witnessed was that that serious disagreement in relationship led to broken relationship. And as Jeff and I processed this, I realized we're not gonna come to the place of agreement. Trust me, I beat my head against that wall, trying to, to get him to agree with me, trying to figure out if I could agree with him, and coming to the place of we aren't going to agree on this, but it is absolutely unconscionable to think about not staying together. This cannot lead to broken relationship, but all I know is that strong disagreement leads to broken relationship. And so I was on a new journey, friends. I was in a new place because I was passionately committed to staying together with this man who I love. And I wasn't just committed to staying, I was committed to thriving. But how do you thrive when there's that big of a disagreement going on? And I had to learn something new and different about what it means to make every effort to keep the unity of God's spirit in a very important relationship through the bond of peace, the presence of Jesus and the power of God. And can I tell you what I learned? I learned that I had to have my identity rooted in God. It couldn't be rooted in what Jeff thought of my opinions because if it was rooted in what Jeff thought, then I was so defensive and I was so threatened by his opinions. But when I got my identity rooted in God, my intimacy with Jeff grew even though we were in disagreement. I learned that I had to be gentle. Friends, this is a topic I feel strongly about and even as I engage with it with others other than Jeff, I've learned, how would I talk about this if I were talking to my husband? If I were talking to the one I love, I would want to be listening to understand their heart. I would want to be demonstrating that I am for them no matter how big this disagreement is. I would want my words and my actions and my tone to be gentle. And I would hope that they would bear with my faults just as much as I bear with theirs. What would it look like if we as a church were as passionately committed to staying together and thriving as someone who is loving the most intimate person in their life? Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.